On today's episode of District Divided, I talk to you about a very, very eventful week across DC sports in the State of the Union, and then I interview diehard Wizards fan and huge NBA fan Michael Drohan. So my girlfriend and I recently got a puppy a couple weeks ago. So he's eight weeks old at the time. He's 10 weeks old now. He's a lab mix. I want to say he's a lab terrier mix. I think that's what we've determined, um, but we're not 100% certain. Uh, but he's really cute. His name is Barkley. Um, an absolute joy to be around. He is a Tasmanian devil at times, just running all over the place. I mean, absolutely all over the place, biting anything he can see, anything he can't see. I don't know how to explain that one. And, you know, he's everywhere, but he's awesome. He really is. He's a lot of work, but he's really awesome. He picks things up very quickly. Very, very happy that we got him. And, you know, we've talked about him a lot, obviously, because now he's a very important part in our lives. And, you know, one of the things that came up is his sports fandom. So what are we going to do about that? And it was very clear from the get-go that he's going to be a DC sports fan, right? He's being raised in the District of Columbia. He has a spot where he goes now, and he's, like, you know, established that as his routine. He's made friends. You know, he gets really excited to see certain pups around here and dogs around here. And so, obviously, he's going to also be a DC sports fan. Now, something to know about my girlfriend is that she's a huge Atlanta Braves fan, and also her celebrity crush, or rather sports celebrity crush, is Dansby Swanson, who is on the Braves, and that becomes important later. And so she said, hey, he is absolutely going to be an Atlanta Braves fan. 100% going to be an Atlanta Braves fan. And well, I was like, absolutely not, because, you know, I care about Barkley. I want what's best for him, and I want him to be a champion. I want him to be raised a champion. And uh, what team are the defending champions in the MLB? Well, that would be your hometown Washington Nationals. So obviously I want him to be a Nationals fan. Or he could be a Braves fan. Um, you know, a team that will go down 10 to 12 runs at the end of the first inning in a must-win game, in an elimination game, which is what they did last season against the Cardinals, who we swept, by the way. Very easy series. So why would he be a Braves fan? Makes no sense to me. So what we decide is to bet on it. The Nats and Braves played last week in a three-game series, and we said, you know what? How about this? Best two out of three, whichever team wins that series, is Barkley's team of the future. So all of a sudden, this three-game series, just at the very early stages of this MLB season, become very, very important. And so the series begins on Monday. And in game one, the Nationals go up 6-3, to three, entering the bottom of the ninth. Adam Duvall ends up hitting a two-run shot with one runner on first base, so therefore the two-run shot that I just mentioned, with zero outs. So it's now 6-5 to five Nats. And then with two outs on a 1-0 count, with the runner on first, wouldn't you know it, Dansby fucking Swanson, who up until this point... The only things I'd ever seen him do at bat were strikeout or 
not even sack fly, just a pop fly. Just zero RBIs. I never saw this guy do anything. He hits a two-run walk-off home run to win game one for the Braves. And my girlfriend's going crazy. Her sports crush has won the game for her and is establishing Barkley as a Braves fan one step closer. I was devastated, absolutely devastated. But fortunately, there were two games left. And then the next day on Tuesday, the Nationals did end up winning. Huge, huge, which sets up for a massive Wednesday. Series is tied one-to-one. Barkley's future is on the line. He consistently looks at me, looks me in the eye and goes, Dad, I want to be a Nats fan. And I go, I know, son, I know. And as we approach time for the first pitch, the game gets postponed due to weather. It is now scheduled for... Friday, September 4th, it is now going to be a doubleheader with the Braves. That second game is what matters. So 7-10, Friday, September 4th, Barclays baseball fandom is on the line. Hashtag prayers for Barkley. We all want what's best for him. It's not just me. I know you all do too. So please hit me with the hashtag prayers for Barkley. And on that note, welcome to another episode of District Divided. I'm your host, Amit Singh. As I had mentioned earlier, got a great show for you today. We got the State of the Union in a very eventful week in DC sports. And I got the interview with Wizards diehard fan and NBA fan, Michael Drohan. So let's get into the State of the Union right now. Beginning this week's State of the Union, let's stick with baseball. Since we last spoke, the Washington Nationals took two of three from the Orioles, split with the Braves, as mentioned in the intro, and have split with the Marlins thus far. The bigger news for the season is Steven Strasburg's season is over. The pitcher will have season-ending carpal tunnel surgery on Wednesday, and this could also have a huge effect on Barkley's chances. So once again, please use the hashtag PrayersForBarkley to show you care. His fandom is decided on September 4th in the second game of the doubleheader. As for this coming week, they finish up with the Marlins tonight and then have a three-game series with the Phillies at home, followed by a three-game series with the Red Sox. The Phillies and Red Sox are both sitting in last place in the NL East and AL East respectively, so this needs to be a huge week for the Nats. They are currently three and a half games back of first place, which the Atlanta Braves hold at this time. Now let's go over to hockey, where the Washington Capitals were severely disappointing in this postseason. They ended up losing to the New York Islanders four games to one in the first round, and that makes back-to-back first-round exits. But this one hurt just a little bit more because the Islanders are coached by Barry Trotz. And for those of you who know Barry Trotz, he was a Stanley Cup champion with your Washington Capitals. So that seemed to hurt, and that seemed to hurt Ted Leonsis because he decided that... Todd Reardon, head coach of the Washington Capitals, is no longer going to be head coach of the Washington Capitals. He was fired after two seasons and two consecutive years of those first-round playoff exits. So what did we learn? Well, don't let your coach, fresh off winning a Stanley Cup, walk away over money. You gotta keep him at all costs, or else, apparently, he'll knock you out of the playoffs. So let's go ahead and not make that mistake again. I wish we had kept Barry Trotz. We'll see what happens from here with the Caps, but... 
Those Islanders look pretty damn good. Let's see how they do the rest of the way. For now, the cap season is over with the new season starting, rumored to be in December. Onto the MLS. The MLS Back Cup is over. Congratulations to Portland. The Portland Timbers won the MLS's Back Cup, and the very next day, the MLS resumed its regular season. DC United was back in action on Friday and tied FC Cincinnati 0-0. They play again versus the New England Revolution at 7 p.m. tomorrow, and again on Saturday against the Philadelphia Union at 7.30 p.m. DC United did not win a game in the tournament, and they have started off with another zero-goal performance, so why don't we go ahead and take some baby steps? Let's score a goal. Just one. Let's score a goal, because recently DC United has been extremely flat, and we need to see a little more substance from Ben Olsen's men. So let's just score a goal. On to the NWSL, Rose Lavelle's NWSL rights were traded to the OL Reign for a 2022 first round pick and financial consideration. So right off the bat, the Washington Spirit received 100k that they could spend on other players or making sure that other contracts don't go over the salary cap. Lavelle, meanwhile, has moved across the pond to Manchester City, where she will be joining US Women's National Team teammate Sam Mewis, who moved to Manchester City from the North Carolina Courage. During Lavelle's time with the Spirit, we played 53 games. She only played 21 of them due to injuries and national team call-ups. In those 21 games, just two goals and one assist. And you might be wondering, so why trade Lavelle? Why would the OL Reign trade for Lavelle knowing that she's gonna be at Manchester City? Well, as it turns out, when you're a national team player, you're actually, you actually have a contract with the US Soccer Federation. And so what ends up happening is the rights get traded over to a certain team from the US Soccer Federation. And so that's exactly what's happened. Once she decides she's no longer with Manchester City, she will be joining the OL Reign. That could be a year from now, that could be three years from now. So it's a risk on their end. And in the meanwhile, I think the Spirit did a great job getting the 2022 first round pick and financial considerations. Now, on to the NFL, where we have good news and we have bad news. I always start with the bad news, so here it is. Ron Rivera has cancer. Head coach Ron Rivera has cancer. Now, thankfully, it's in the early stages and is supposed to be very treatable. On the chance that he misses some time during the season, defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio, who has experience being a head coach, will be the interim head coach. Ron Rivera is confident he can beat it. I'm confident he can beat it as well. And he has been inspired by one Alex Smith, which transitions us to the good news. Quarterback Alex Smith has been cleared to not only participate in practice, but also do so in full pads. And, and he's been looking good out there. Reports from various beat reporters at practice say he's been in 9v9 drills, is facing a pass rush, and is doing well with feeling pressure and still delivering great throws. So what does this mean for the Washington football team? Well, Let's start with Alex Smith, considering that he almost lost his leg. This is an absolutely unbelievable story. Some people were saying, hey, you may not even be able to walk again. It was life-threatening, actually. And here he is, playing, balling. He's apparently the first person on the practice field, too. So he is no pushover. What this means for the Washington football team, getting back to that? Well, for now, Dwayne Haskins is still the starter and still deserves to be the starter. But on the off chance he does not play well or he starts slow or it's just really, really bad for the Washington football team to start the season, talking the first eight games or so, 
we could end up seeing Alex Smith again because it looks like, based on his work ethic and the way he's come back, he's not here to just sit. He's here to play. And on to basketball. Well, why don't I let Michael Drohan tell you about the Wizards? Joining me this week on District Divided is a good friend of mine, went to school without walls with me, and a Wizards diehard fan. Michael Drohan goes by Mikey. Mikey, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I would be doing a whole lot better if the Wizards did what the Suns did and went 8-0 in the bubble, but as we know, that did not happen. Before we get into the Wizards in particular, what have you made of the NBA bubble so far? Wow, uh, such a great question. And uh, while I would have wished that the Wizards would have performed better, um, you know, at the end of the day with the Suns, kind of ended up same result as we did. So uh, not a whole lot different there in terms of results. Um, I think that the bubble games have been fantastic. Frankly, a really great display of leadership uh, by the NBA in terms of implementing this bubble, making sure that it's effective, uh, making sure that uh, positive tests have been totally limited. Um, So just overall really impressed by the NBA and the capability of the league office to make it happen, along with the players, coaches, referees, everyone who's working really hard on it. Um, In terms of the game quality itself, uh, I think there's some room for improvement, which totally understandably, I think a lot of the guys are not the sharpest, uh, a little rusty. Um, and then other than that, it's just very surreal to see it uh, within the bubble arena environment. But overall, it's great to have basketball back. Yeah, I would totally agree with your assessment of it. It's a brilliant team effort. And I'm talking about all the teams that have been a part of it, the referees, the training staff, everyone that's been a part yeah. of it, because they have had those zero positive tests over and over and over again, 100%. Showing, showing that the bubble works, which is awesome. So now let's talk about the Wizards specifically. Not very good. They ended up going <laughs> one and seven in the bubble. Not very good is a massive understatement. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what uh, happened? Tell, tell us about it. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, there's a couple things to kind of address right up front. So, uh, and, I, and I have a lot of different feelings on the subject. But first and foremost, Brad Beal out, Dave uh, Davis Bertans out. Um, right there, the Wizards were already a pretty mediocre squad to begin with, without their two uh, sharpest scorers um, and leading scorers on the team. Uh, we already knew it was going to be a pretty disappointing effort from them. And I think there's definitely arguments to be made. Obviously, it's in the past now, but uh, of the Wizards making it to the bubble in the first place, I think there's uh, you know, a very unique situation, but did we need to be there in the first place? I think it's something that you could identify as a, uh, a criticism if you want to uh, discuss limiting the amount of teams in the bubble and the amount of players exposed to each other. Uh, but first and foremost, like with the Wizards, uh, I think this was an opportunity for a lot of the younger players who could make up the future core um, to get some good run. Uh, experience some really good playtime situations, experience, you know, notching 30 plus minutes a game and that sort of thing. Uh, So, you know, with those guys, there's going to be a tendency to have mistakes. There's going to be a tendency to not perform well uh, in situations where they're either facing starters and players with a chance to really compete for something um, or just more veteran players. 
Yeah, and I think that is something that needs to be said as well, is that the bubble was made up of the better teams in the NBA, right? For so sure. they're already playing really stiff competition. Now some players had opted out, like Kyrie Irving, for example. So when we yeah. lost to the Nets, that was very disappointing. The Jared Allen-led Nets and Karis LeVert-led Nets. Now good players, but you know, you're know you sort of hoping for a result in some situation like that. But let's talk about those young players. Were there any standouts to you? For me, it was Thomas Bryant and Troy Brown Jr., for example. Sure. So um, you're right on the money there. So Troy Brown Jr., uh, stuffing the stat sheet, uh, really impressive performances from him in the bubble. Uh, I think I've got the stats right here. He was averaging about 16 points, uh, grabbing in nearly about seven boards and logging about five assists per game and solid D as a swing man as well. Um, Needs to work on the three ball a little bit more, but overall I was generally really impressed with him. Uh, I could see him in the core as a bench guy next year, potentially pending more improvements to his game, particularly around that three line. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Thomas Bryan as well uh, had a 30 point interruption. Uh, he's been good in the paint for the most part, but you know, he's got that soft touch as well. Um, I think that he could really present teams next year with trouble if he gains the same chemistry with John Wall that he already has with Brad Beal. Um, that's kind of the big thing for me. Uh, he's a little bit, in addition to that kind of soft touch, I don't see him messing with some of the other bigs in the league, uh, you know, but obviously it's a more positionless league and there are less traditional bigs and he would definitely fall in the line of a less traditional big. Uh, so, you know, that has some po- uh, some pros and cons to it. Uh, and then finally, I'll address that uh, Rui didn't play as well as we would have liked, but after a really solid rookie year, uh, my cause for concern is not huge. I don't think he's used to being like the number one or number two guy yet, even with just one year in the league. I think that takes some time, and that's not really his skill set when he came into the league. And on Rui, I really like his work ethic. And you can tell, like, you know, with some of the comparisons he's getting on those good days, you know, you can tell that he's going to end up being a very productive player on the team, whether it's Mm -hmm. as a starter or a very strong role player off the bench. That is good value with a, you know, the ninth pick that, you know, we had last year. It's not like a top three pick, for example, where Otto Porter was in the lineup and before that he was you know frozen out for a bit and people were like maybe he just sucks so it's good that we know that Rui is going to be a part of this core and it looks like he is a very promising young talent moving from the players to the coach though it's come out and is now common knowledge that Scott Brooks will be returning for his fifth and final year of his current contract now I'm gonna read four percentages to you these are the win percentages for Scott Brooks, 2016-2017, his very first year, 59.8. Pretty good. We had the 49 wins in the regular season, and we lost in the conference semifinals. Just a heartbreaker in Game 7 to the Boston Celtics, the Kelly Olynyk game that got him paid. We then 52.4 win percentage in 2017-18, 39% in 2018-19, and 34.7%. So it's just trending down now John Wall of course was missing for a big chunk of it but for a guy that had really good years with Oklahoma City do you think that this was a good move to bring him back for a fifth year a complex question great question Uh, so what I'm going to say is I think that this was a smart decision 
given the current status of the world, um, the complexities around potentially creating a new schedule for the NBA, I think that this was Tommy Shepard playing it safe. Uh, now I've heard that I've heard criticism of that, that playing it safe is kind of a very wizard's tendency uh, from the upper levels of the organization, um, you know, that leads to us to achieving mediocrity rather than like really pushing for something greater. Uh, however, I think that while I'm not a huge Brooks fan, I don't necessarily think that we need to bring someone on board prior to this last year. He is a lame duck coach, 100%. Um, but I don't sense an urgency right now to immediately change that. And I'm not ultimately too concerned about this last year. Now, if this is a prove it deal and proving it means making the playoffs, then I'll be very upset. Um, if proving it means uh, deep in the playoffs, like at least a conference I'd have to say conference finals run, which is super unlikely and pretty much unforeseeable in any circumstance. Uh, maybe we could talk about it. I don't think there's any, I think the biggest conversation right now that he will be employed for this year is will he get an extension? Uh, I hear a lot of talk on the Wizards blogs about a two-year extension. And I'm just, I'm highly concerned about that as even a possibility uh, but I'm not totally concerned about this last year. And this is pretty much the anticipated, I think, not a totally surprising uh, result. I really like the point you made that the NBA may be looking to change its schedule given the mm -hmm. coronavirus yes. uh, situation right now. And so really one of the reasons, and it's a good reason by Tommy Shepard, to remove the uncertainty from a situation that mm -hmm. is uncertain it does make sense to bring Brooks back. I really like that point. And you talk me sure. up. I'm way too excited about change. And I was like, you know what? Let's go and move on to the next guy. And the reality is by the end of this year, unless he makes the conference finals or, you know, another game seven conference semifinals with massive improvement to the team, I think you are right. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to get that two-year extension. So are there certain coaches, because you said you're not a big Brooks fan, are there certain coaching candidates, if you will, that uh, do excite you past next season? So 100%, and I'm glad that you brought this up. And this is, uh, for me, just a real interesting topic because I truly do believe that there are so many pieces on the Wizards that could be transitioned into a really positive squad. I think with another relatively high draft pick, uh, this year, number nine, which I'm sure we're going to get to shortly. Uh, I think that the Wizards would really have a strong one through seven potential future core with some like different alignments. So let me tell you about a little bit, of, uh, a few things about some of the coaches that really appeal to me going forward. Um, I have a tendency to really have an interest in teams that are performing well. Uh, that have a tendency to previously not perform well. I have a, I believe an emphasis on player development is really key. So uh, the first uh, name that I'm going to bring up is Charles Lee. Uh, Charles Lee is an assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, so he's been with Bud for six years, uh, including the Atlanta years. Coach Bud of uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, tremendous guy, has a really good understanding of player development strong defense, and most importantly to me, um, 
team identity. If you're going to be with Coach Bud, then you're going to have a really good understanding of team identity. Um, he's a former college player, so he's going to have a really good understanding of how to relate to the guys on the team. Uh, so I think really highly of him. Um, I'm happy to keep going, or if you'd like me to relay a few more of my choices, I'm happy I would to absolutely that love that. Well. Please continue. So Charles Lee is one option. Who else would you like to name? Sure. Uh, so I also think this would be a fantastic addition to the team. Uh, Jaron Collins. Now, Jaron Collins is currently a, the assistant coach with the formerly world-beating Golden State Warriors. This guy is a vet. This guy relates to star players. This guy gets everyone to buy into the team concept when there are nothing but egos on the squad. Now, we have some egos on the team. Um, obviously, not what we once had with a more veteran wizard squad. Now, we've got a little bit more of a younger team. Regardless, there is still a incredible player and potential. We'll see how good he is when he returns. But we have John Wall and we have Brad Beal, and they need to meld and mesh together to make the Wizards the best version of them th themselves that they can be. Jaron Collins has the experience to bring that to the table. Um, the other coach that I'm going to put on the board here, and I have a few more options, but this is my top three. Um, I'm going to say... Jordy Fernandez, uh, he is one of the Nuggets assistant coaches as well. Uh, this man has a great understanding of player development, is well known in the league for having a great personality and being able to speak the language of both international basketball and also speaking amongst the tiers of the team. So that means talking to business, that means talking to ownership, that means talking to the front office, and that means talking to the players. So this guy's got a great rep in the league. The Nuggets, if you recall, probably like three or four years ago, no one was even really talking to them. And now they're consistently gaining high seeds, I think in no small part to due to this guy. So uh, Jordy Fernandez, again, Nuggets assistant coach, could be a really good option and great at relating to the players. Those all sound like fantastic options. Now, I also does that not sound great? Like the, the, an innovative <laughs> forward thinking higher. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something the Wizards have been known to do. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, and I know you know all our conversations offline. Yeah. We we very much talk about exactly sure, this. Sure. Now, let's talk about Scott Brooks one more time because he was sort of that players' coach that we're talking about. He is able to relate to players. Now he had Harden, he had Westbrook, he had Durant, like. He had that core group of guys. Do you think he can turn it around? We talked about very enticing options there, but do you think he can turn it around? Do you think that he can get to these guys once Wall is back, once Beal is back, Bertans if he comes back? You know, do you think that he can pull it together and get to that conference finals or deep into the conference semifinals? Sure, great question. Let's be frank. Scott Brooks has been dealt a pretty tough hand. Um I do not think that he is as uh, he is a bad coach like our current record suggests uh, this past year. I think he is a better coach than that, nonwithstanding. And let's be frank, the Wizards played really hard this year for much of the year, and they played uh, in a lot of ways for him. So kudos to him for that. However, I do not think that he is the right coach for this situation um, because at the end of the day, the NBA is more built around the upper echelon of players and obtaining the best from them. Scott Brooks 
has historically not been able to consistently draw the absolute best. I'm not talking about the good from star players because he's capable of doing that, but the absolute best from them. So I'm going to say that, no, I'm not super confident in his ability to uh, make it further than that. I think high end pro, uh, you know, if I'm going to, uh, predict our results for next year. I think with John Wallback, I think with a little bit of a stronger core starters with a little bit more experience, I think we make it back to the playoffs, but I think a second round appearance would be an exceptional result. I do not see us making it past the second round. And I don't even see us really giving the second round team any, uh, any trouble. And I think that's the best possible result for next year. Fair enough. I mean, that's a very reasonable take to me. Uh, completely understandable. I also expect some sort of second round exit, assuming everyone stays healthy. Unless Rui absolutely turns it on, for example. Which is possible. Troy, which is possible. Yeah. Or Thomas Bryant does, or Troy Brown Jr. Again, I like the young guys on the team. So we'll see what happens next year. And speaking of next year, and speaking of that ninth pick, so Rui Hachimura represented us in the NBA draft lottery, and lo mm-hmm. and behold, we end up with pick nine. You know? So mm-hmm. what position would you like to see us address with the ninth pick in the nba draft this coming when is it october i want to say that is uh yeah and i don't know the exact date but as in terms of our positions of need you know it's really uh you know the eternal debate in the nba about do you pick talent or do you pick your position of need uh frankly i think the front court despite Rui and um also thomas bryant being in there probably needs the most help uh i could see us uh, we've always were all uh, the uh, other uh, position of need that's been a constant through the john wall era has been a stellar backup point guard for the long term um also just a general big man uh could be good any type of front court player uh and then also given that i think uh to me I do not see Davis Bertans as a long-term member of this team. And we can debate about that as well. And whether he's worth the money that he's potentially commanding on the open market and what he looks like, but potentially with him leaving, uh, there's an opportunity for a wing player as well. And uh, this also would have to do with how confident you are with that eight game. uh, uh, The, uh, the performance from Troy Brown jr. In the bubble and how you feel about that going forward. Uh, I have a couple of draft picks in terms of who we could potentially slot into the team. And I'll give you my top three picks, uh, depending on who we think is going to go ninth and who we just generally like. So uh, what I would say, and this guy is really popular on the Wizards board, so I'm going to go ahead and get him out of the way. Uh, Devin Vassell, uh, coming out of, he just finished his sophomore year, coming out of Florida State, uh, would be awesome for positionless basketball and kind of the modern era would be great in transition. I see him as kind of like a Jimmy Butler type in terms of the meanness that he would bring in guards, shooting guards, small forward, maybe a small power forward uh, can ball on D does a lot of things really well. Um, good eyes, uh, great dunker gets the crowd hype. So I think there's a lot of things to really like about this guy. Uh, so, I think that there's a reason he's popular. And I think that if he is still available, 
which I think is reasonable uh, that he'll be available at the ninth pick. I think he would be a good option. Um, I'm going to say for my second pick, I'm probably going to pick Obi Toppin. We'll see if he's available. That could There's a chance that he might go earlier. I know there are a lot of concerns about his ability to play defense, but man, he is a super exciting player. Um, the fans will get hype for him, his ability to put up 20 immediately in the NBA. And uh, honestly, I kind of see him as similar to Rui uh, in a lot of ways, uh, kind of playing that power forward, but also able to move like a sh- uh, like small forward. So really like him. Uh, awesome one-on-one game. Uh, could really see him being a valuable addition to the team. Uh, then finally, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to switch it up a little bit, maybe go a little bit smaller. This guy is just to kind of address that need. Uh, but Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa state, uh, could be a really strong backup point guard for the future quickness, running the floor, keeping the team's energy up while John Wall is out. Uh, and just generally, I feel like Iowa state players can bring something unique to the, you know, playing in that big 12, uh, there's a lot of tough competition playing against teams like Oklahoma. Maybe not like uh, you might find going up against Kentucky or Memphis, but definitely an interesting kind of division to play in in terms of basketball. Well, in terms of Obi Toppin, I mean, ain't nothing wrong with options, right? I mean, yeah. I know he might be similar to Rui, but man, that guy's excited. I remember seeing some of his games yeah. at Dayton and the guy mm-hmm. can do it all. So if he somehow slipped, I don't think he will, but if he did somehow slip... I would absolutely love Obi Toppin in that spot. Um, I do like the idea of getting some sort of backup point guard for sure. you know this team because it would be really nice. Now, I did like what Ish Smith did, actually. I was pleasantly surprised in that regard. Okay. He runs that up-tempo offense. Not that great defensively, obviously, so you would no. hope for a bit more there. <laughs> Who can but, say? I don't think anyone on the Wizards is all that great defensively. Yeah, that's totally fair. We we were conceding way too many buckets <laughs> constantly, yeah. so we cannot be giving up buckets that easily like that. So once again, everybody, this is Michael Drohan. Mikey, I'm going to give you the floor for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, two hours, whatever you want. You can talk about whatever you want. Plug yourself, talk about Jan Mahimi no longer being a wizard, your intense hatred for Ernie Grunfeld, cats, the weather. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I don't think I have anything bad to say about Ernie Grunfeld any longer. You know, that that has dissipated a little bit. Uh, maybe I'll continue to plug a little bit more about, I'm going to give you one more coach that I like, and I'm going to give you one more uh, potential player that I think we should draft. Um, so this would be a nice one for the home fans, but uh, Wes Unsell Jr., he's in charge of Nuggets defense. He's the assistant coach for the Nuggets. It'd be great to bring a franchise legend son back in. Um, not that I'm in for the nepotism and things like that, but uh, I do think that he's a really interesting guy, presents really professionally, uh, good for get, teaching the young guys to be a uh, more professional ball club, which I think is valuable and uh, also really critical to the rise of the nuggets after the, over the last couple of years. So I'm going to put him in there as well. And then I don't know if you're familiar with Isaac Okora. You probably are. Absolutely uh, from Auburn. Yeah. 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 So big boy wing. I like that. He's so what I really like about him, uh, strength, toughness, great dunker, Big body on D. Uh, so I love that 
Like sometimes I think the Wizards are not physical enough, and I think that he would provide a lot of that, a little bit of that meanness, uh, playing small without sacrificing strength. So uh, those are kind of the big things for me. Other than that, you know, um, I have a lot of things to say about, uh, you know, the uh, upcoming or the the currently uh, continuing NBA playoffs, which has been super fascinating right now. But, uh, you know, feel free to uh, cut me off at any point. (laughs) I give the man the floor. And you know what he does? He doesn't promote himself. He continues to give you names and ideas. This man does not stop (laughs) grinding. He loves this team so much. And you have earned yourself another question. And on the Isaac Okoro thing, by the way, I think he has the potential to be an elite defender in the NBA. So I really like that shot. And Wes Ansel Jr., love that shout as well. Nepotism aside, I think that would be excellent. Anybody from the Nuggets, I would really enjoy. Now, that final question for you. I want your final prediction on who wins the NBA Finals in the bubble and who their opponent is. Go ahead. Sure. So when you sent me this question this morning, I think there is a, you know, it was tough, but I have a gut feeling. And it's not going to be a popular pick, but, uh, you know, that's at the end of the day, I'm fine with that. Uh, but I'm going to pick the Lakers to take the championship 100%. I think that that chemistry that they had from earlier this year will reassert itself. I think that the lack of chemistry on that LA Clippers team will truly do them in. Um, and I think that the Bucks are not quite ready to win a championship. I think they will most likely, so I'm going to say, Lakers in the finals and their opponent. That opponent coming out of the East is tough. And I want to hear your thoughts too. I'm going to go with the Bucks, and I kind of hate that because it's too safe. And I really want to pick the Celtics or the Raptors, but I think that the Bucks will also find a way. I trust in Bud to finally make adjustments when the time is needed and Giannis being a transcendental player. Um, and just being a team, that Bucks team is just really focused on basketball. They don't let a lot of other things get in their way. Uh, that Orlando Magic uh, bench squad from game one, notwithstanding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going to say uh, Bucks Lakers final. Lakers take it. LeBron gets that fourth one. All right. I like that. Um, I do think the Blazers are going to really push the Lakers um, as we continue here. And we'll see what happens there. For me, what I would say is I think that Clippers team, I think they're just so stacked. I understand the chemistry issues at this time, but I think they're working them out with each game and they're just getting better and better. Kawhi Leonard to me, I mean, I am absolutely in love with the guy. I think he's just an incredible player. He can do everything, literally everything. I mean, he's one of the best defensive players, if not the best defensive player. You can make that argument. And then on offense, he's so efficient and he's so mm-hmm. selfless at the same time. Paul George can take his time waking up and, you know, then erupting when he really needs to. Mm-hmm. And the rest of that team, they pushed the Warriors last year. So they know mm-hmm. what they're doing. They know how to be gritty. I really like this Clippers team. So I have them winning and I actually have the Boston Celtics getting through. Love I was it. thinking about the Raptors a little bit because, you know, they have a taste of it. They don't have Kawhi. It would make for an interesting series. Clippers Celtics with Kawhi now on the, you know, L.A. side of things. But I do think the Celtics are going to get through. I love Brad Stevens. And I think he's going to end up getting these guys to the finals 
but there is a talent gap, and I'm giving it to the most talented team in the NBA. That is the Los Angeles Clippers. And this was Michael Drohan once again. Thank you so much for your insight, for the various names and ideas that you brought to the table, the analysis. And looking forward to having you on again soon, brother. Take it easy now. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Once again, that was Michael Drohan, a Wizards diehard fan, NBA fan. A special thanks to him for coming on and talking to us about the Wizards, about Scott Brooks, about potential coaching candidates in case it does not work out with Scott Brooks past this coming season and some of the players we could be getting with that number nine pick. And once again, guys, hashtag prayers for Barkley. Please show your support. We need him to be a Nats fan the rest of his life depends on it that sounded way too ominous let's just go straight to poly polo you know what i meant by that let's go i spent my whole damn life in the city anywhere i go dc's coming with me i spent my whole damn life in the city i can go for broke but the capital is in me i spent my whole damn